Hi, listeners. This is Lauren. Shortly after we posted the last episode, Nina let me know she'd been uncomfortable with this recommendation and not really happy with the discussion we had had. And I think this is really fair. I unintentionally but carelessly misled her about the content of this film, assuring her there were no harmful stereotypes when there were in fact many. And then I didn't unpack them appropriately in our discussion. My poor choice is of course compounded by current circumstances. The trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd and the extremely recent killing of Dante Wright only miles from the site of Floyd's death. If you felt discomfort listening to that part of the episode, that makes sense. Discomfort was present and much was being left unsaid. I wanted to come back on and issue an apology both to Nina and to our listeners for the recommendation I gave in our last set of episodes and for not explaining explicitly enough in that last episode what exactly was so racist in the depictions in the Palm Beach story. First off, an acknowledgement. My privilege as a white person is what allowed me to watch this movie and within a few weeks to have completely forgotten about the racist depictions it contained. As we have seen over and over again in this country and around the world, the casual dehumanization of Black people contained in movies like The Palm Beach Story contributes to the violence enacted against them by the police and other agents of the state. So let's begin. Roughly 20 minutes or so into The Palm Beach Story, Claudette Colbert's Jerry calls her way onto a train heading to Palm Beach by charming the members of a hunting club called Quail and Ale Club. As the night goes on, the members grow louder and more boisterous in their private car and also get very, very drunk. Two of them sit near the bar in the private car, pretending to shoot imaginary birds. This is when things take a frankly sinister turn as the drunk men start shooting their apparently loaded weapons, breaking a window and then another, laughing through it all. It is played for fun. At one point they demand the bartender, a black man they call George, throw crackers into the air and they aim at them again with their loaded guns. The bartender's increasing panic is played for laughs, and as he takes cover beneath the bar, placing a bucket on his head and at one point waving a rag as a sort of white flag. Later, the men's train car is disconnected because of this behavior. The bartender is again a figure of fun and laughs as he runs from the train car in fear. It's very unpleasant to watch, and I should have made that very clear originally. Now, a little background on why the men call him George and why that's probably not his real name. The Pullman Company a very famous railroad company uh, in the 20th century in the U.S., was one of the biggest employers of African-Americans. It did much to burnish its reputation by giving to Black churches and other Black civic organizations. But its reputation was not reality. The porters mostly depended on tips to make a decent income and had to work long hours and travel great distances for even a basic wage. They were penalized if passengers stole towels or a water pitcher. They had to pay for their own food, uniforms, and lodgings. They were often called George by the white passengers because of George Pullman the founder of the Pullman Company. Their union that they formed after years and years of struggle, the Brotherhood of the Sleeping Car Porters was led by a man named A. Philip Randolph, a very important person in both the civil rights movement and the labor movement. And this organization was very, very important in the labor movement of the US, but also really kind of had influence worldwide. After more than 10 years of fighting for recognition from the company, In 1937, the Brotherhood of the Sleeping Car Porters finally secured a new contract that raised wages and established 240-hour basic month as well as overtime pay. This context underscores the injustice of the depiction in the Palm Beach story. The real-life equivalent of the bartender in the train car, along with the other porters and maids depicted in the film, was part of a decades-long struggle to obtain fair wages and decent treatment from the Pullman Company. And yet in Sturge's imagination, he is reduced to nothing more than a cruel joke, a bit of background slapstick for his white character's silly love affair. And all this as he comes under little, literal gunfire from a group of drunk white men, an event that is all too common both now and in the time the movie was made and often with tragic and irrevocable consequences. So again, I want to apologize for this and for not going into more detail 
in the last episode. This movie has much to recommend it, but it also has much to go against it. And I think it says something that it has a spot in the Criterion channel, a very select group of movies uh, chosen, I will say, mostly by this one white dude. And there's not a lot of mention within the discussions about it, about the scene like this, even though I do think it is worse than a lot of other depictions and other movies. So it is wrong to say that this is just the way that Black people were depicted at that time. I think it is above and beyond. The guiding principle of this podcast and of our recommendations has always been thoughtfulness and empathy. So I'm sad to say that in this instance, my recommendation was lacking in both. And I should have been more aware, more thoughtful, and more upfront.